I'm, I'm sorry, page 45, but from the textbook, I'm sorry. But we're on page 45. It says, page of the text, believer that be, believe that the blood which, I believe it's supposed to be believe, believe that blood which with which you have been sprinkled under which you live daily is the blood of the cross. It obtains power from the fact that it was complete sacrifice of a life to God. The blood and the cross are inseparably united. The blood comes from the cross. It bears witness to the cross. It leads to the cross. The power of the cross is in that blood. Every touch of the blood should inspire you with a fresh ability to take the cross as the law of your life. Now, my will, not, not my will, but thine be done, may now in that power become a song of daily consecration. What the cross teaches you, that it bestows upon you, what it imposes upon you, that it makes possible for you. Let the everlasting, everlasting sprinkling of the blood of the cross be your choice. Then through that blood, the nature as well as the power of the cross will be seen in you. So uh, Andrew Murray has made that statement. And it should be believer. He's talking to us as the believer, that first word instead of believe. All right, the love of the cross is em emphasized here in Galatians uh, 2 and 20 that we've read before. But it says, I, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. And I think, you know, we was talking about the fact of Christ being alive. Mm -hmm. Well, how are we alive? We're dead, but we're alive. Mm -hmm. Spirit. Exactly. But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The cross is a revelation of love. First Peter chapter 4, verse uh, 8, and that R just stands for it was a red letter Bible. Um, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. And that's exactly what Jesus done upon the cross. He covered a multitude of sins. Mm -hmm. And if we really reconcile with someone where we've had an indifference or we have fell out of fellowship or we've had a fist fight, whatever, real love will cover all that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Real love will cover all that. Recapturing, re, recapping the lesson, each drop of, of the blood points to the surrender and death of self-will, of the I lifestyle. Isn't that what got Satan in trouble? I will, I will. One of these days when you're thinking about it, I did this one day. How many times I said I? I'm going to do today. Well, I need to go do. Well, I think I'll go check the mail. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam, you and me, that's the dog. <laughs> Me's I. Mm -hmm. How much we put I in our thoughts, our vocabulary, yeah. and our conversation. Mm -hmm. It's all about I, if we're not careful. Think about it. Yeah. All right. Um, the, the I lifestyle. Each drop of, of that blood assures you of the power of, obtained by the blood by Jesus on the cross to maintain that inner nature that crucified life in you each drop of that blood Jesus and his eternal love for you to work out all the blessings of the cross in you and to keep you in that love 
All right, a closing to these thoughts of this lesson. May each thought of the cross and the blood bring you near to your Savior and into a deeper union with him to whom they point you to. Remember, if you walk in McDonald's or you're riding down the road and you see the arches, you may have not even desired a double cheeseburger or a quarter pounder. And, you know, you, you immediately, you know what's going to be served and sold in there. Okay? The same thing. When we think of the cross, it ought to begin to illuminate the fact of his love. Illuminate the fact that we have been forgiven. Illuminate the fact that we are now justified. Illuminate the fact that we're sanctified. Illuminate that we are not guilty any longer. God. All by faith. So it's a deeper relationship, a deeper union. All right, the power of the blood. The altar sanctified by the blood. Now we're going to go back to some Old Testament thought here. All right, this is lesson five on page 46. We find in Exodus 29, 37, and this is uh, the King James, and it's a red letter. Uh, but anyway, seven days thou shalt make an atonement for the altar, and sanctify it, and it shall be an altar most holy. Whatsoever touches the altar shall be holy. Now, did you hear what it said? Whatsoever touches the altar shall be holy. All right. When we think of the furnishings of the tabernacle, the altar would have been most important. The most holy place within the veil was more glorious. So you've got the altar outside of the sanctuary or outside of the, uh, the holy place. And then beyond the holy place was the most holy place. And what we see in reference to an altar in some sense, in, in, in sense, would be that of the Ark of the Covenant. But there was an altar before you went into that curtain of the holy place. That's where the sacrifices would be made. Um, so it's saying here we, we're in that process of from the labor and, the, and, and that of the, the altar and then going into where the bread is and, uh, and the menorah, the enlightening, and then going on into where the high priest only, and we know what Jesus was that extreme or that ultimate uh, high priest, and the blood was applied at the mercy seat in heaven. That couldn't be done by any other uh, uh, high priest that we've discussed. Uh, we must realize that, be, that before the temple or tabernacle, an altar served as a place for the worship of God. We talked about it in some of our earlier lessons, and I'm getting ahead of myself over here on page 47, um, but, but I'll go ahead and mention it, and then we'll, we'll, we'll adjust it. Um, we realize that God made the first sacrifice. We made the, made the first sacrifice for Adam and Eve. Okay. Um, let us uh, take study of some of the earliest cases of an altar that would have been used by some of the earliest persons recorded in Scripture. Um, before we do the study, let's ask some questions. What was the altar? And why did it occupy such an important position? We have the Hebrew word for altar. And, of course, um, there's a couple things that are rendered here. And another Hebrew word comes up uh, for altar. And it's talking about to slaughter an animal, to kill, to offer, to sacrifice, or to slay. So that's where we get the terminology of what an altar is supposed mm -hmm. to be for. Okay. Then we, we look at the fact of these questions that can be answered 
The altar means specific, specifically the place of putting to death. Or killing. Or killing. Okay. Then number two, the chief thought of the importance of the altar is this. Man's service for God consists in the sacrifice and consecration of himself and all he has to God. Mm. So, Could you do that again? Yes. Those in the blanks? Number two? Mm-hmm. Okay. The chief thought of the importance of the altar is that is this. Man's service for God consists in the sacrifice, is the first one, and the second one is consecration. You're very much welcome. All right, we have some record of, and I may not go into a lot of elaboration here, we have some record of some altars in Scripture. The first one I already mentioned, how that uh, man's uh, sin uh, and, and his nakedness had to be covered, Genesis 3.21. And we understand God uh, sacrificed the first animal. We realize that Noah built an altar in the 20th verse of the 8th chapter of Genesis. And we see that uh, this sacrifice would have been for that of a peace offering. I'm not going to go back into all those. And if you go back into the first seven chapters of the book of Leviticus, it's our handbook. And we talked about previously about the five of those uh, types of offerings. And a peace offering is, is exactly what Noah would have offered here. A peace offering. Okay. A peace offering. And then Abraham or Abram built an altar, which would have been in the 12th chapter of Genesis, and verses 7 and 8, God's call to Abram. We see this taking place in the fact of God building an, or, or Abram building an altar to God. God's promise to Abram. And Abram builds an altar at Bethel, which means the house of God. And we can say, okay, a church ought to have an altar. But actually the name Bethel means the house of God. All right, Isaac built an altar in the 26th chapter, verses 24 and 25. In this chapter, God confirms the covenant with Isaac. God brings him back to Beersheba, and I think that's important because the word Beersheba means the place of oath. And remember, God himself has given his oath of a better covenant. Okay, here we find God has established a covenant with Abram previous, now his offspring, and God brings them brings Isaac to an altar, or Isaac erects an altar, and actually even brings him to a place that means, hey, we're talking about an oath here. An agreement. Mm-hmm. Covenant. <clears throat> really, when we think of contracts and, and covenants, really covenant, and that's why the Apostle Paul deals with the fact of marriage being symbolic to that of our relationship with Christ. Because because actually, when we take the marriage vows, we're saying something, even unto death. Do his part. All right, then Jacob built an altar in the 33rd chapter of Genesis, verse 20. Um, Jacob uh, has a night in which he meets with God. So he met God in the the night. And of course, what developed out of that, that his name was changed from surplanter or one that uh, tricks and connives and whatever. Ain't it wonderful when God even changes your name? You were talking about your name. Uh, God changed it to Israel, which means the prince, which means prince or a prince of Israel. 
uh, and God is uh, over and over through these three generations, he's reestablishing his covenant. And of course, if you take the scriptures, and I'll throw this out, 12, 15, and 17 of Genesis, you see where, you see where God says, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you um, the, 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 the father of nations, not a nation. Uh, everything's going to be as far as the, the sand of the sea can be and the stars. So we see how God reemphasizes his oath. Um, we see one at the house of God. We see one at a place that was meaning uh, oath. We see another word where he had a, a night adventure. Um, and and uh, even the place there, the altar that uh, Jacob erected, would have been one, uh, it's E-L-O-H-Israel, which means the God of Israel. The God of Israel. And throughout the scriptures, we find that it's referenced many times that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm -hmm. All right, Moses built an altar. And there's significance, and we were talking about the names of God earlier. Uh, this altar in Exodus 17, 15, the name of the altar was Jehovah Nisi. Nisi means God is our banner. Now, I want to just say something here. I want to tell you this is a declaration. I don't know how I want to say this. There are several ways I could say what I want to say here, but let me just say it this way. It was a banner. Jehovah Nisi means God is our banner. Right. Actually, this altar was erected to proclaim God's victory over his people. Now, if you go back to a historical point, when you're in the harbor, and I've never been there, but the night of, and that song being penned by Francis Scott Key, the national anthem, he was in the bottom of a ship, and I'm going to tell you, the British meant business. They were meaning for the American flag to come down. Mm -hmm. That's the reason. Old say, can you see? Do you still see it? And there were believers in the bottom of that ship praying for the colonies to prevail. To prevail. God has raised a banner over us. And listen, I'm going to tell you. There comes a time that we need to call out for God, Jehovah Shabbat. Yeah. There needs to be a time that we call out for God, Shalom, which is peace. Yeah. There's, a, there's those times. But I'm going to tell you, when we can get to that assurance, mm -hmm. no matter how tired we may be, how much sorrow, or, or, or even, even knowing that Jesus died and the horrificness of that, and just, I want you just to think about the, the flag that night being tattered and the suffering and the loss of lives but listen what we need to realize there's that moment still that banner is flying over us that says we are victorious yes. we are victorious yes. god says i have a banner yes. that i will allow to fly over my people joshua built an altar Joshua built an altar in Deuteronomy 27, verses 1 through 10. Instruction given by Moses and the elders of Israel before they crossed the Jordan to enter the land. An altar was built for sacrifice. Burnt and peace offerings, offerings were, uh, were observed. Honoring the law. Placed in view. It was placed so they could go back and look. There's another situation that I'll mention. There was actually where... After they crossed the Jordan River, they were told to take the stones and they replace them. And the questions asked, what does these stones mean? 
Listen, I want to emphasize this, and I've got this on a podcast. I'm not a podcast, but a TikTok. Actually, listen, I could go somewhere right now, and, and I could I could make some of you mad, but, but then again, I'm at a point in my life, leave all the statues alone. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. care what it says. It is a piece of history. It'll tell us how much we hate it. Mm-hmm. Let's quit fighting about it. Hey, I'll go see Martin Luther King's statue. I don't have a problem going and seeing the, 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 the battleships that are under the water. It's telling me something we may not need to go back to. Exactly. That's right. But there again, when I see the cross, it tells me what my Savior done. And it tells me who we are. Hallelujah. Don't take down the cross. Don't take down the Vietnam Memorial. Don't take down Martin Luther King's statue. Don't take down the Confederate. Let's learn from it. And let's realize that we need to establish a truth that we don't need to go back to things that are wrong. And I probably shouldn't have brought all that out. I shouldn't have probably brought that out. But that's where I stand now. We need to look at the fact. What can we learn from it? Yes, there's been injustices. Yes, that's right. So uh-huh. we don't Jesus' death was an injustice. A yes, just man. Right. A just man hanging on a cross mm-hmm. and the only thing that could put over his head. He's the king of the Jews. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh my God. Instead of going back to your past, learn from it. Thank right. you, honey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But they said, What are these stones? It was to remind them. Yes. It was to remind them. It was to remind them. Oh my, i got to get myself together here. Eastern tribes erect an altar. When they started going in to take their possessions, in Joshua chapter number 22, the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh leave from military assistance of the other tribes. They built an altar to that could be seen, and you can look at verse number 10, They built an altar. In building this altar, it all but caused a civil war in the house of Israel. Man, we're almost having fights over this kind of stuff today. But listen, we're talking about an altar, and and the concern was, is this going to take us into idol worship? That's why it almost caused a civil war. Now, this is going to be a test question. I think it's kind of one of those tricky ones. Uh, But actually, I'm I'm going to tell you this. Actually, um, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just find it. I'll share that one with you. I'll share that one with you. Is it true or false? All right. It says Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Those were the three tribes. But really, Reuben gets more of the blame. When you read the scripture, it sounds like they're the, the, the head, head of this. But the question is, on your test, the tribe of Dan erected an altar on the other side of Jordan that almost caused a civil war. Well, what's the answer? Okay. False. Okay. False. It's false. Okay. So I'll just give you an idea there. Okay. The danger of building this altar altar was the following. Trespass is Joshua 7, 1 with Achan. Joshua 22, 16. Go back and read these. The iniquity of Peor in Numbers 25 were adultery and open disobedience to God's will with regard to worship. And Joshua, I mean, these are things in Joshua that already took place. The act of rebellion, Joshua 22, 18. 
the reconciliation witness of the true intent of this altar. The house of Reuben, these houses of, of these tribes, they had to come back and say, look, we want it to be a witness. We want it to be a perpetual testimony to the generations to come. And then the real kicker is that you got to look at in verses 28 through 29 is no rebel, no, no rebel or or leave the altar before the tabernacle. What they were concerned about was they will not come back over to where the tabernacle is established. And they were, Joshua and the others, they were afraid they would go over into idolatry worship. Mm -hmm. And it almost caused a civil war. They were willing to fight against yeah. their own brothers yeah. over this. That's how strong they were about it. Again, we must be reminded of the importance, the important purpose of the altar. The altar is the place of sacrifice. That's your first word. Or consecration and also of fellowship with God. So sacrifice, consecration, and fellowship with God. The Old Testament gives us a shadow of what the New Testament gives us a perfect reality of spiritual worship. Without an altar, we miss the meaning of true worship. In the New Testament, we have revealed an altar, or we have revealed an altar in Hebrews 13.10. It becomes obvious where our altar is in the New Testament is. It is the altar where once for all the Lamb of God was sacrificed as the great sin offering, where also each believer must present himself with all that he has as a thanksgiving offering to God, that altar is the cross. 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 It's the cross. So that's why our study here is the mm -hmm. altar sanctified by the blood. The cross, when we look at the cross, we don't look at it no more as bling bling. We look at it as an altar. Amen. And the Lamb of God at Passover, as John said, and the next day was the Day of Atonement, Jesus fulfilled both of them. Yeah. Two important facts of our lesson is that the altar is sanctified. The altar is sanctified by the blood. Mm -hmm. Now I want you to hear something, and there is a test question, and it, it does bring up this thought. And it's talking about this particular thing about the altar being sanctified. What does it mean for the altar to be sanctified? To be made whole, holy. Oh, be made holy. Okay. Um, all right. The scripture here, read that script. No, I, well, I can't do that. Okay, never mind. Seven days thou shalt make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it. And it shall be an altar most holy. Whatsoever touches the altar shall be holy. Do you realize what it's saying? The cross, looking at the cross by faith, we're not putting the emphasis on the cross because it's who was on the cross, but the cross itself being this an altar, whatever touches it. And I'm going to give you something here that, that will be on the test. It'll be an extra point. Uh, this is one question, and it could be tricky. 
in reference to the what it was talking about in that scripture. Your question is, eight days atonement was made for the altar to sanctify it, and it shall be an altar most holy. Is that true or false? That's false. Seven days. And I brought that out to you because I want you to hear something. I'm going to give you a tidbit. Okay. At the cross, our altar, it was touched by blood seven times as required in the law of Moses spoke of. There they are listed right there. His back was whipped. There's one. His head with the crown of thorns, two. His left hand, his right hand, his right foot, his left foot, and his side was pierced. The altar was sanctified by the blood, which is the cross. Seven times right here. Seven times. That's, that's important that you know these seven because it's on your test. The offering is sanctified by the altar. By the altar. We have a reasonable service, and this is where it begins to tie in with us. We have a reasonable service. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. How do we see ourselves here? Well, the answers that I have here, the offering that is sanctified by the altar, which is his cross. Oh, I put the altar sanctified by the blood. What did you, what did you say it was? The offering that is sanctified by the altar which is his cross. When we see the cross in the right perspective, we are going to be made whole. We're going to be sanctified. When we touch that cross by faith, because the fact of what's been on that cross, it was his blood. Seven times, he, his blood, Touch that altar. So the altar is made holy. So anything that touches that altar, if we touch that altar, it's a faith man. It's by faith. It's by faith. We're not putting our trust in the cross because the work has been done through the sacrifice mm -hmm. of what was applied there. Old Testament altar, a foreshadow of the cross. Three times. This is in Genesis 22. The, altar, the Old Testament altar, a foreshadow of the cross for us. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get on the log for a moment. When it comes to the Bible, translations, you can use whatever you want to. There's some I won't use, and I'm going to go into all that right now. I, overall, when I look at a Bible... I want to hear in John 3.16, my only begotten son. Yes. Not my unique. And I understand, I understand that may sound good. Or my one and only. But when you say only begotten, you're talking about that of order. You're talking about order. Okay, you're talking about the fact of the archegos. He was the captain of our salvation, as Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 2.10. And in the rank of the Romans in those days, captain would have been the highest rank. Jesus is at the highest. Okay, three times, thy son, thy only son is spoken. All right, we have John 3, 16, only begotten son. Verse 2 of the 22nd chapter of Genesis. And he said, 
Take now thy son, thy only son, Isaac. What is Isaac? Isaac is symbolic of Jesus, the only begotten son of of God. Told him to take him to Moriah. Told him to place him there on the mount. Or verse 12. It says, And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know thou fearest fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy what? Only son from me. Verse number 16. And said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thy only son. Okay, <laughs> let me really just put a nail in the cross. If I should say it that way. It said, your only, your only son. Mm-hmm. Did not Abraham have a son? Yes. Mm-hmm. He was asked to sacrifice Isaac. Okay. But he also had Ishmael. He had Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Yes. What we see here. What happened was in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. God said, this is my covenant. Mm, this right. is your son. Yeah. This is the promise I the gave promise, you. Yeah. He said it will be through Sarah. Yeah, and it will be through mm-hmm. you. That was not the promise. Yeah. Even she though God said, Ishmael would be blessed. also blessed. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But God's covenant was through the house of Israel. Mm-hmm. Okay. And thank God for that because he gave the oracles. The word of God to the Jew, so that the whole world, mm-hmm. whether they're from Ishmael's lineage or they're from the German or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. We all, because whosoever. Mm-hmm. And John three sixteen, for God so loved the what? The world. His only begotten son. So everybody's in the picture. Mm-hmm. We have a portrait of the only begotten son. We see a portrait of the cross altar there on Mount Moriah when Abraham went. And we have a covenant promise with a provision. Mm -hmm. Two things we need to know by the Spirit in reference to the full power of the blood of the cross. May we see the sanctification of the cross as the place of our death. You can write Galatians 2.20 there beside that if you want to. And the place where also, where we also may be consecrated to God. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to take the time, but I hope that you have the last two paragraphs of page 52, maybe 51 or 53 in your textbook by Andrew Merrick. And really, this is beautiful because he's talking about the bread that we break, uh, the fellowship, the cup which we drink, and it's a beautiful analogy that he gives there. And he reestablishes how that everything that's touched by the altar is sanctified, and then he presents the scripture there out of Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. They're on page 50. So read those two paragraphs. It's beautiful. As a matter of fact, I don't know, but I, I think I have. If not, I will be using that sometime in a communion service, I'm sure. Okay. I know we're running out of time. We've got a lot of things. I am going to attempt to uh, to teach the rest of this. What I want to do is make sure I think we get to where we're just more teaching, and I may be giving some highlights uh, with some things, but I think the fill-ins, I think we can get those before we leave. That would be great.
Let's see if we can do that. Okay. All right. And hopefully we can keep it in a sink in a sink that it's not uh, bringing any kind of uh, confusion. All right. On page 51, it says our study will give the importance. So this is lesson six on faith in the blood. Now, uh, I'll, I will probably attempt to go back to this right here and pick up and teach it. But I want to give you the fill-ins. So some of this may sound like a repeat, but six through nine, I'll go ahead and do as a second, I mean, as another addition that will be when you go and, and pull it up. Okay, <clears throat> under that, uh, we find, again, our study will give importance of faith in the power of the blood. So we're emphasizing faith in the blood. The word there under number one should be faith is the key to receiving the benefit of the power of the blood. It's not that we haven't talked about this. We have. This is some re-emphasis. Um, because even our theme verse up here, it says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his, wit his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So we're dealing with faith here. Number two, our text states faith in the blood of Christ is the one thing which makes the doctrines of holiness and grace of God of the divine and human nature of Christ of our deliverance. The word should be deliverance from sin and the union with God intelligible, which means to know. Number three, in faith is... If faith is the key to receiving the benefits of the power of the blood, reconciliation should be the word, is the key. So faith is the key to receive, and it's talking about reconciliation, is the key to understand all the benefits of the power of the blood. And what did you say number two was? Faith, blood, and what was the other one? Faith, and uh, the second part of that was deliverance. Deliverance, okay. just wanted to okay. make sure that was right. And then, I don't know that we used the word reconciliation in our vocabulary list. I may have not got that one. But it means to cover, atone, cleanse, disannul, forgive, be merciful, pacify, pardon, to pitch. And actually, there is a significance in what took place when Moses, not Moses, when Noah built the ark, it was pitched. Yes. It brings us back to an Old Testament analogy of atonement. And, it, and of course, we know God protected them, the eight souls. Okay, I hate to skip some of this, but it says important point there about midway. Faith is born from a sense of need. Um, look down to where we get into our next one, two, and three. Our faith must exceed that of deliverance from the punishment of sin. We must, by the word, receive the promises of the works of the blood. Number one, but when the soul truly seeks above everything else to be cleansed from sin itself and to live in abiding fellowship with the Holy God, so the word's fellowship, mm -hmm. this is the first requisite of a true faith in that blood. All right. The word should be sin in this one. The deeper the dissatisfaction with that, with, with what is wrong and de, uh, well, deficient. deficient, thank you. In our spiritual lives, the stronger the longing to be really delivered from sin. 
So when we get dissatisfied and we really fall out of love with sin, we, we really want something. And I, and, and I go back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago in, in the reference to the woman that wanted to quit smoking. Mm-hmm. We've got to fall out with, with sin. <laughs> the more lively the desire to have unbroken communion with God in the holiest, so much the more is a soul, such is such a soul prepared to receive by faith what God promises and will bestow. I think I remember seeing intercourse in the book. It might be. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is, I the mean, same thing. you know, yes. I mean, because we're talking about relationship. We're talking about relationship right. with God and His Spirit. Our requirements on page 52 for a full faith in blood. Number one, it is very important to have a spiritual knowledge of the Word of God. So we're talking about relationship. We're talking about what, what is practical that we're going to be able to build that, that relationship. Number two, one must be teachable to more truth about the wonderful work of the blood. Most have a concept that the blood is only applicable to our salvation. I've already stated that. That's where some people live. Well, it's for my salvation, but we don't look at it that it broke sin's bondage and we're no longer guilty. And we allow the enemy to come in and try to trespass. Number three, a believer wanting to have a full fellowship of faith in the blood must acknowledge the Spirit as the teacher. These are things that we all already know. These are things that are practical. It's by the Word. It's by realizing it, it goes beyond the shedding of His blood for our remission of our sins. And also, we've got to continue to have that teacher. We've got to stay teachable, folks. Yes. Um, really, let me move on down. How do we obtain faith? Well, we all know Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by what? Hearing. And hearing by the what? The word. That didn't say the reader's digest. Okay. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6, 4. This is a very powerful word. The word Shema in, uh, is the first word in Hebrew. The word Shema means to what? To listen. To listen is good or to hear. But it also allows us to understand we know what to confess. This truth gives us the opportunity to make our confession by the means of faith. We've heard what God's Word said. Now we confess it. Mm-hmm. We, we confess it. All right. And then there's some examples of faith. And definitely the faith chapter of the champions. I won't go over those. and We will when we teach it uh, to you. Okay. There's several notes here. And we're talking about the blood of the Lamb and, and seven. Um I apologize for that, but I would definitely want you to get these things just to fill in. And some of this thing may be on your test, so I would read over lessons eight, uh, seven, uh, 6, 7, and 8, and 9. Uh, number 8 is our lamb. Wait a minute, where are we? What page are you on? Uh, that was page 60. All right, we're flipping over page 62, 65. I'm sorry, folks, but I'm trying to make sure we get all the things that need to be oh, fill-ins. Okay, let's go to page 68. This is the this is the last lesson. Lesson nine. Now this this is 
now, but it's also future tense. Um, we find in Revelation 5, 9, this is this gathering, there's a new song sung, and they're talking about who, who's worthy to open the seals. And um, so uh, thou hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, tongue, uh, and people and nation. We go down here and it says we must inquire into the far-reaching extent and wonderful power effects of the blood in the world. So the words should be far-reaching blood and world. Wait a minute. For, must inquire to the far-reaching. Hold on a minute. Far. I had okay. All right. Effects gonna... of his blood to the world. In the world, I mean, okay. or world. Okay. Uh, boy, I wish I could go into this. The depth of Revelation, I'm down number three. The depth of Revelation 5.9 exposes a vision of things in the heavenlies. This vision is a revelation of the high calling. Very elect is what I put. That's wrong. High calling okay. is, is, okay, and glorious results of, and I want you to hear this, our relationship and knowing the power of the blood and being operative by faith. How many of you have been on a mission strip? Yes. How, how many of us are missionaries to our own yes. world that we live in? Yes. And glorious result, results of mission work. Mission work. Ma'am? Could you go back over that again for number three? Okay. Revelation of the what? High calling. So we have a high calling. Yes. And the glorious results of mission work. Number four is missionary. Oh, wait a minute. The high calling. Oh, that's. Oh, never mind. I thought you said I high calling. You say it's mission work. And glorious results of mission work. Okay. Thank you. Number four okay. is missionary work. Now listen to what this is saying. Missionary work will appear in a new light to us when seen in what relationship it stands to the blood that is so precious to us and we shall be strengthened to serve the missionary cause if we understand that the power behind it is nothing less than the power of the blood of Jesus. It's not the finances. It's not the culture. It's not, I feel good because I'm going on a missions trip. It's going to be because of the power of the blood that's going to transform lives that we minister to. All right, number five. That is in this, that faith finds her power in the song of the great multitude gathered by missionary activity. We hear that it is the blood of the Lamb by which we were redeemed to which they owe their participation in salvation. If you go previous to this that I did not cover, that I will, it's talking about people from every kindred and tribe that are there because of the blood of the Lamb. That's why we can call it a missionary work. Number six, let us consider how that the blood that blood is, in truth, the power of the missionary movement. It is the blood alone that bestows the courage, awakens the love, and provides the weapons to which to missions 
owe their victory. I don't have time to go over these things, but I think that was the last. It is. It's the last. And later you're going to see where our position is in the fact of the power of the blood as kings and priests. I'm going to ask my wife, if she will, to pass out the test. And as she's doing that, I'll give some explanation, and we will be out of here hopefully by 3.30. It is two pages. It's back in front. Let me... No, no, no. They're front and back. It's just oh, one page. I'm sorry. No. It's just one. I don't one. see no front and back. Here we go. I got it. What time were we supposed to be out? 3.30. 3.30. That's why I'm trying to get you out of here. Okay. Thank you. The way this test is going to be composed of, there is 25 questions, if you look at it, and count the way it's laid out. That will be worth four points. Then when you come down to the back, there is seven things that are a bonus. And those okay. seven are going to be worth about one and a half points. So you can make 112 off of this. That's great. You can make 112 off of this test. So if you struggle somewhere, but if you'll pay attention to some things we discussed, and this is open book, open book. How many did you say, say it should be on the front, 25? Well, if you take and count up one through five. Right. Then you have four more that six, gives seven, you nine. Six, seven, then you've got sixteen true and false. So if okay. I counted right, that's twenty-five, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I hate true and false. Okay. <laughs> so, so we're at saying like number five. We must acknowledge that the blood doesn't. There's two lines there, and every one of those answers gives you a place. Um, you know, it gives you, so it's either A, B, C, or D. And like I said, it's open book. It's open book. Now, I will say that some of the some of the questions on the true and false are tricky. I can you, see that. You've oh got to gosh. read. You've got to I read. I didn't think we were going to have that many up there. But, but it's in your, it's in your book. We've, we, we've studied this. Yep. We've studied yep. this. And I'm going to say this, unless there's something you need me to say, there is two, and it's stated there in your definitions. Correct word to the statement. Remember, two of the words have the same meaning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's two of those words, and you'll so see breathing creature <laughs> and breathing creature. Yeah. So, you know, I think you'll do well on this. I Does really it matter do. which one we pick, being it's the same? No, it doesn't I know matter. it's soul and life. No, it doesn't. You know. Okay. Okay. All right. Doug. All right. Well, I hope you've received something out of this today. Yeah, it's great. I've enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And I will, I will get back with you about the other.